glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion, city of our God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As I considered our text, and I wasn't really paying attention where our brother was at in psalm reading for Sundays, but as I considered our text this morning and the observance of our Lord's table to follow, the last words of that old Psalm 100 echoed within my heart and mind, namely, and His truth, His faithfulness. Endureth to all generations. His truth endureth to all generations. For consider this morning, beloved, that we stand before two most glorious and blessed truths spoken by Christ some 2,000 years ago. Both which have endured to all generations. Listen closely. The divine promise that Christ would build His church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, we stand this morning as witness and a testimony to this divine promise made almost 2,000 years ago. Christ is still building His church. His truth endureth to all generations. And the divine ordinance which Christ Himself commanded that His church observe in remembrance of Him till He come, and which every generation since that night some 2,000 years ago has observed, we too observe this day. Think about that for a moment. Dwell on that for a moment. Let it sink into your heart and your mind that His truth, His faithfulness endureth to all generations. We are standing here this morning on the promises of God building His church and before taking this divine ordinance, we're standing on promises that have endured to all generations. What a glorious blessing and comfort that should be for God's people. We are truly, as God's people, Christ's church, a most blessed people. Therefore, like the Psalm 100 says, let us enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Let us be thankful unto Him and let us bless His name. For truly, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endureth to all generations. What amazing comfort that should be for us at this very moment as we sang the psalms and sang the hymns and we stand before this divine ordinance and we stand before this blessed promise found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. We should say, Blessed be the God of our salvation. Let us then, in the shadow of this divine ordinance, celebrated by countless believers 
throughout every generation. Humbly examine this divine truth of Christ building His church in the face and in spite of the very gates of hell who seek to prevail against it. What an amazing blessing if we would just take the moment to consider and contemplate what I've just said the first five minutes of this sermon. What we find ourselves facing this morning is monumental and amazing. The gates of hell has not ceased from His church observing His ordinance and the gates of hell have not ceased with Christ building His church. We are witnesses of that because if you're a Christian, we are His church. Truly His truth has endured to all generations. And we are a testimony. We are a testimony of that divine promise. When I considered that, I thought, Lord, we could stop right now and all go home and fall on our face and be thankful unto God for the eternal testimony of His ordinance and the promise that He would build His church. And we are the witness and testimony of being His church that these promises have endured to all generations. What a glorious, glorious comfort that is for God's people. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to look at two distinct things this morning in our text that I hope and pray would encourage you like it has encouraged me in my preparations of this sermon. It's an amazing thing about preparing for a sermon. There is always opposition from Satan. Every time a preacher seeks to prepare his heart and his mind to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, and yet that opposition rises a lot when the message entails something about Satan. We find in these words of Christ, listen to me, a sovereign decree, a divine edict. Listen closely this morning. We find a sovereign decree and a divine edict. Both of these things. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A sovereign decree and a divine edict. One for the encouragement and comfort of His church that He promises to build That's the first one. The promise that He is going to build His church. That's a divine decree. God, Christ is speaking severally here. He's telling His people and the gates of hell, I'm going to build my church. He's not requesting it. And He's not even stating in the fact with gates of hell that there's a threat against the gates of hell, against His church. It's a sovereign decree. You're going to try because, follow me, I'm going to allow you but you're not going to prevail. Is there anything that Satan can do without God's divine permission? Think about that for a minute in light of our text. Our Lord is not saying, oh no, the gates of hell are going to try, but I won't let them. God is actually saying, I'm decreeing 
that the gates of hell seek to prevail against my church and I will build my church in the midst of such great opposition, making it more glorious oh, than ever. My heart was filled with such joy and rejoicing when I pondered this sovereign decree, this sovereign edict of Christ. It's not simply saying, I'm going to build my church and be careful because the gates of hell are going to come after you and you've got to be... No, Christ is saying, I'm declaring in a sovereign decree, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to allow the gates of hell to seek to prevail against it and it won't. Stay with me this morning. I want you to... I want you to grasp this. I want you to understand this that we all might be comforted in this this morning, what our Lord is telling us. First, He says a seven decree in regards to building His church. Now listen to me. The building of His church is by seven decree, yet it's carried out with the greatest mercy, tender, and care. Listen to it. Upon this rock... Listen to the Lord. Upon this rock, I will build my church. That's a sovereign decree. He said, I'm going to do something out of the greatest tender care and mercy and love of God. I'm going to build. I'm going to build my church. A sovereign decree and divine promise that cannot be altered, hindered, or prevented even by the gates of hell themselves. I'm going to build my church. I will build. Mark those words. I will. He says, I will build. Listen to the words of Christ. I will. I'm going to do that in spite of the gates of hell. I will. I will. It's a promise. I'm going to do that. I'm going to f- okay. But he says, I will build. The word building is implying with the greatest wisdom and knowledge. God is infinitely wise, is He not? Do we not always contemplate the wonderful attributes of God? He's infinitely wise. He's knowledgeable. The knowledge and wisdom is God. How unsearchable are His judgments? He says, no, I'm going to build. I'm going to build something out of my infinite wisdom and knowledge. Oh, the depths of which are unsearchable and past finding out. I will build. I'm going to use infinite wisdom. If creation is of itself glorious, how much more the building of His church? Again, I remind you and encourage you to do the same. Look up in the stars one night, clear night, and imagine all those stars. You look at creation, the rising of the sun. I was outside this morning when the sun was first coming up. And the birds were singing and the deer were prancing along the hills and there was just so much creation. Creation was glorifying God. You can say what you want to. They're not stupid. Mm. Romans 8 said, Creation groaneth. Groaneth for their redemption. Creation knows more about God than most men. When you think about the creation, the wonderful things God, spring is fixing to approach us. It's on the doorstep when trees begin to bud and flowers begin to grow. And we look at that and we say, how marvelous. Over the wintertime it appeared dead and lifeless and now God brings it to life. God is in all things, the Bible says. Every living thing. God is there. And we see creation and we say, how glorious creation is. And yet Christ says, I'm going to make my church more glorious 
than creation because I'm going to build it in my infinite wisdom and knowledge. I'm going to build my church. What a comfort that is. Not only that I will, he says, but I will build. And the third point, I will build my church. He builds his church with the utmost intimacy, love, compassion, and care. It's my church. He claims it by right of redemption and by right of creation. It's my church. So often we speed through the Word of God without taking time to stop and think about the simplicity of the words, even though they're majestic of themselves. I will build my church. Listen to me this morning. I want to get ahead of myself, but if you're a born-again believer this morning, you're saved by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. You know what you are? You're a peculiar and special people. You are Christ church. What an amazing thought. I will build my church. It's by His love that He gave Himself for her. Ephesians. And by His blood, He would purchase her to be His own. You're bought with a price. Men love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. I will build my church. Words to seriously meditate and think about. If you're truly, like I said, and listen to me, if you're truly born again by the Spirit of God, elect and chosen by Christ, you are part of something most glorious and most blessed. Are you listening to me? Not of yourself, but because what Christ has made you and I. You are most blessed. You are part of something gloriously tremendous. Do you know that? You're Christ's church. Listen to me this morning. We don't think about that much, as much as we should as God's people. But you are part of something great and glorious. Not of yourself, because of what, but because of what Christ has made us. You're Christ's church. Something divine which would feel, should fill our hearts and our minds with the greatest adoration, praise, and thanksgiving. Not because of anything of ourselves. But Christ has called you out of this world unto Himself. I liked what Bishop Hall declared it unto. He says, the mystical union of Christ and His people is the church. The mystical union. Mystical union. Have you ever considered yourself in a mystical union with Christ? Listen to me, I don't think we spend enough time thinking on this, but I'm, I'm getting into a subject with a hope and pray that you can take the meat of this and chew on it and, and be encouraged and excited about it. You are in a mystical union with Christ at salvation. Do you know that? I and my Father will come and make our abode with them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is a mystical union between the believer and Christ. It's a glorious thing. You are part of a most glorious work of God. Greater than the creation. Do you understand that? Can you comprehend that? As a child of God. He called us out of this world unto Himself, making us members of His body. Ephesians says, making us member of His body, the church and his flesh and his bones. That's what Ephesians says. Of his flesh and his bones. 
Christ would himself be joined to his church. Are you listening to me? That's what the church is. That's why the Bible encourages us to love one another. Because we're members of his body. We're the church. Christ, it behooved him to be like unto his brethren. Be like unto his brethren. Christ would join himself to us. What an amazing thought. Glorious things of thee are spoken. Zion city of our God. I will build my church. It's my church, he says. Listen to this. Peter says this. 1 Peter 2.5 Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. 1 Peter 2.5 Lively stones, not dead. He's talking about building his church. Peter says, You also are lively stones, are built up to a spiritual house, the church, and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Your lively stones. Now built upon a spiritual house. Look over in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Again, Christ says, I'm going to build my church because I'm going to join myself to them. Lively stones. Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore you are so no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Are you listening? Fellow citizens with the saints, we're all one, and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, the church, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also builded together for an habitation of God. Listen to that. You can't fathom that truth enough. You can't, you can't reach the depths of what Paul is saying here in this lifetime. I doubt we'll catch it all in eternity. But listen, in whom also you are builded together for habitation of God. An habitation of God through the Spirit. That's Christ building His church. We are truly a peculiar people, not of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us and is doing in us. Christ has joined Himself to us. Lively stones. As the stones for the altar in Deuteronomy could not be built of hewn stone, cut, God told Moses, when you build my altar, the altar, don't you touch that stone. Don't you try to work on that stone. Don't you try to make that stone anything. You bring the stone is as it is. Because if you don't, if you lift up your, your tools upon it, he said it'll be polluted. 
That's what we are. We're lively stones, not built by ourselves. We don't do anything to ourselves. We can't change ourselves. Christ says, I'll take you as you are. And I'll make you fit for the altar. Think about that for a minute. <laughs> so too in the building of His church, Christ would choose not many wise men. Nothing hewn upon. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty, Paul says. Consider your calling. Not many noble. But God, he says, chooses the foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, the base things of the world, the things which are not. I don't want anything hewn by the tools of man. I'll build my church with the rocks I choose. Can you imagine? I'm sure that when they were building that altar and God gave Moses that command, I'm sure the men were out there looking amongst the rocks saying, not every rock will do. I'm sure they just didn't go out and grab one. I'm sure they're going, not every, we've got to find a rock that just is not touched. Not one we can touch, but we've got to find a rock that's going to be fitting for the altar. And so Christ looks down upon all generations and says, I find a rock of my own choosing, and I'll build my church with that. And it won't be those that are luxurious and glorious and wise and mighty. I'm going to choose those the world would ignore. You see, back then, they probably chose the finest of stones. Christ says, I don't choose the finest. I don't choose the finest. I choose the weakest, the poorest, the basest, the foolish. Isn't that amazing? And then Christ makes us something in Him. Amen. He makes us something in Him. I will build my church. So He will, sovereignly, build infinite wisdom and knowledge, His church, with intimacy, love, and compassion. But there's a second point I want you to notice this morning which I think is just as vital as the first. Christ says, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my building this church. Now again, I want you to understand, this is a divine decree. It's a divine edict from Christ. It's not saying, I'm going to try to do something, and Satan is going to rise in an opposition to try to stop me. I believe with all my heart Christ is telling the church and the gates of hell, I'm going to allow you to seek to prevail against my church because I'm going to build my church in the midst of the gates of hell so that it would be more glorious than ever. Are you following me? Listen to me. Though these words of Christ against the gates of hell were divine permission, I believe it was in order, now listen to me, I want you to understand this, in order to help advance and strengthen Christ's building of her. Christ says, I'm going to allow this because I'm going to use what Satan would do to destroy. I'm going to turn that around and help it to build my church. Listen to me, listen to me, please. This is what I want you to understand. Because sometimes we wonder why the church is so oppressed in the world and so afflicted in the world. Why we have so much trouble. Because Christ says, because it's going to make you a better church. I'm going to allow the gates of hell to seek to prevail against you. That's the first part. Now, I won't let it, but I'm going to allow it. 
Let's follow the language of Scripture with that thought. Job chapter 1. Job's going through life. A pious, righteous man. I'm sure he caught the notice of Satan, like all righteous men do. But isn't it amazing that it was God who said, Hey, Satan, look at my man Job. God Himself drew attention upon Job. In fact, God Himself did that so that Satan would seek to harm Job. God said, I've got a purpose in that. He had to ask God. I'm not going to go through all that. I think we all believe that. But He had to ask God. Why did God allow Satan in the garden? We have to admit, Satan is not sovereign. He can't do what he wants to, right? Right? He can't do what he wants to. He's not all-knowing. He's not all wise like God is. Why did God allow that to happen? Well, I won't go into the theological aspects of that, but I'm sure it has something to do with Christ coming into the world to pay a sacrifice for sins. We'll just leave it at that. But here, Job, God says, Have you considered, have you considered my servant Job? I like how the Holy Spirit used considered. Have you really considered him? Look at, look at, look at my servant Job. That there is none like him in the earth. You see how the Lord just kind of exalts him in the eyes of Satan? There's none like him in the earth. He's a good man. A perfect and upright man. One that feareth God and escheweth thee. All those things Satan hated and despised. You would think God wouldn't allow or wouldn't want Satan to see all those things so clearly. But he actually exalts all these things of Job in the eyes of Satan. Say, look at him. He's perfect. He escheweth evil. There's none like him in all the earth. Satan said, well, if you would just not hem him up, I could, you know the story. So what God do? God allows him to take everything he had. Something I, the Lord's kind of laid in my heart, future sometime. At the end of chapter 1, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job admits everything given is of God, everything taken is of God. Ponder that. You say it's not fair. No. Everything gives is from God. He giveth it. If He giveth it, He can take it. Wait a minute. You're talking about His feed, His livestock, His family, His children. God, Lord, Job, Job says God gave it. He has the sovereign right to take it. But the Lord was the one that said, Have you considered Job? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What happened to that? Well, said, So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. Now what the end of Job says? Was Job the worse for it? According to Scripture, he wasn't. He was better for it. How was he made better for it? God used that old dog, Satan, like on a leech, and said, no, I want you to prove my man Job. I'm going to show you just how powerful and mighty I work in Job. I want you to see what I can do for my servant. I want you to see that even though you pour out the gates of hell upon him, I'm going to make Job a better man for it. And Job was the better for it. Are you following this thought? Are you following this? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church because I'm going to allow you, I'm going to permit you to try. So don't be surprised when you feel or sense as though Satan is all on you, all over you. 
that afflictions come in numbers. For Christ said, that's how I'm going to build my church. I'm not going to build my church in the ease and luxury of peace and contentment. I'm going to build my church right in the midst of the gates of hell trying to prevail against you. I'm going to, I'm going to show the gates of hell in you that I can build you more glorious with such great opposition. Are you beginning to understand why we are suffering afflictions and tribulations and persecutions? Are you beginning to see God's infinite wisdom in building His church? James said, look at the end of the Lord. What was the conclusion, he said? The conclusion was the end of the Lord. That was the conclusion, the end of the Lord. You see, the Lord did it. The Lord did it. But He allowed Satan. You remember Peter? Christ sovereignly allowed Satan to sift Peter as wheat. Peter, Satan desires to have thee and sift thee like wheat. I'm not going to let him touch you because you're mine. No, the Lord said, ah, and when you've been converted, strengthen thy brethren. The Lord said, no, I'm going to allow it. Why? You're going to be the better for it. Satan thinks he's going to sift you, but I'm going to use Satan's tactics to make you better. I'm going to build my church in the midst of the gates of hell trying to prevail against it because I'm going to make the church a more glorious thing because of that. Are you following? Are you following this? <gasps> so much of our problems as Christians comes about because we lack understanding of Scripture. Scriptural illiteracy. We don't know what the promises of God are. And we become bewildered and confused. Scripture doesn't teach us that. Scripture says, no, you count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Count is to judge. Look at it spiritually. Discern it spiritually. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be entire, wanting nothing, but let a man ask in faith, not wavering. Because God giveth liberally, and abradeth not. Not a double-minded man. You see, so Christ allowed Satan in both instances with Job and Peter. He was building his church. Paul said in Acts, he was going around with a brother encouraging all the churches. He said, we remind you that we must, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Could God not just simply remove all that and just let us enter right on in? Yes, He could. Why do you think the Lord saves us and leaves us in a world that lieth in wickedness? Why didn't He just save us and take us right to heaven? Boy, wouldn't that be easy. Lord, I repent. Please save me. I'm in heaven. The Lord says, no. I'm going to build something in my infinite wisdom and with great intimacy and love and compassion. I'm going to build something. Not just build it. I'm going to build it while the gates of hell seek to prevail against you. I want you to feel it. I want you to see it because I'm going to make something great out of you because of Christ in spite of the gates of hell. Do you see that? Do you see that? Isn't that marvelous? Why do you think Paul talks about Ephesians, about spiritual warfare? Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Why? Why does God allow us to go? People say, why does God allow all that to happen? Because He's, going to, he's building His church. And Matthew 16, 18 answers all those questions. 
I believe Matthew 16 18 answers all those questions. Most people look at this theoretically or hypothetically. That's all. They don't look at it practically or factually. Look at it. Listen to the words. This is God here saying, I'm going to build my church in the gates of hell. He's not, he's not afraid of the gates of hell. He's not saying, oh, beware, be careful, because the gates of hell are going to try to... No, He says, I'm going to build my church. That's how He starts. And the gates of hell are going to try to prevail. I'm not going to let them. In fact, I'm going to allow them. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Why does God allow that? That's how he builds his church. Let me stop here for a moment and pause just for a minute. Some of you have just been saved long enough to realize this truth and understand it. And Actually, you don't have to be saved very long to first begin to understand it, but how many times have you learned more about God in the heat of the battle than when you were sitting on the mountain of spiritual joy and blessings? Man, I'm telling you, when God allows the gates of hell to come to your very doorstep and try you and God pulls you out of that fire, pulls you out of that miry clay, sets your feet upon a rock, there's that new song. Whoa! And Satan and the gates of hell tremble and shake. That's how he built his church. Many are the afflictions. Psalm 34. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Not a few, many. Why? He's building his church. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He delivereth him out of them all. Paul calls our afflictions light, which is but for a moment. He said, even they work for us. You see how God is working that for us? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding internal weight of glory. It worketh for us. Let me make a statement here. I hope you understand this. Satan in the gates of hell, even though he does have a certain amount of wisdom, I mean, he tried to tempt Christ with Scripture, but in all reality, Satan in the gates of hell are stupid and ignorant. They'll never come up and match the infinite wisdom and knowledge of God. They still think, he still thinks that he can win this thing. Do you know that? The whole time God's gone, no, I'm just using you as a dog. You're my gorilla, is what one Puritan said. Satan is God's gorilla to bid, to do his bidding. God says, no, I'm going to build my church. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make it more glorious by building it while you seek to prevail against it. And I'm going to show them, my church, just how glorious I can build them. And I'm going to show you that you can't prevail against the work I start, the work I do. You can't prevail against it. And it's going to be glorious. You're beginning to understand now why the persecutions and afflictions and trials and troubles come to God's people in the world. That's how He's building you. You know He's building you that way. You know that? Oh, we'd all love to, like Peter, let's make three, three tabernacles right here and let's just stop right here and worship. And God says, no, 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 get that out of your mind. You know they had to come down out of that hill. <laughs> wonder what Peter thought. It says when they came down off the hill. What did they meet when they came down off the hill? Somebody was possessed with the devil and the disciples couldn't. Immediately when they come down the hill, Beloved, I'd love to be on the hilltop experiences with God. It's fabulous. It's fantastic. But I'm telling you, in this world, hilltop experiences are limited because we're not built on the hilltop. We're built in the valleys. 
what makes us. You say, that appears just like a gloomy part of Christianity. No, it's not. No, it's not. If you really understand and understood the truth of this, you know what it is? You know what it's like to experience Romans chapter 8 in an effectual way rather than theoretically? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We are more than conquerors. You want to be a conqueror. We're conquerors. And every time God delivers us, we feel and experience that spirit of being a conqueror in Christ Jesus. That is delightful. I don't want to sit on a cloud playing a harp with wings forever. Isaiah 48, the Lord said, I have chosen you. I've chosen thee. Where? In the furnace of the affliction. I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. No weapon that is formed against thee, Isaiah 54, no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. No weapon. Which means there's going to be weapons formed against us. No weapon, though, that is formed against thee shall prosper. It doesn't say it's not going to happen. It says they're not going to prosper. The gates of hell shall not prevail. It doesn't say they won't. They won't prevail. The weapon won't prosper. It won't work. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the saints of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. This is the inherited. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Tongues are going to rise up against us. Weapons are going to be formed. The gates of hell shall seek to prevail. Afflictions shall come, many of them. Persecution shall come to the for the godly. But the Lord says, I'll deliver you out of them all. Why? Because I'm going to show you my glory in the midst of all. This is how I build my church. This is how I build my church. The world looks at the church. And like Christ, they see no form, no comeliness. No beauty that they should desire. Him or us. So Isaiah 53, they see no beauty in Him that they should desire Him. They look at the church and say they see no beauty that they should desire Him. In our morning prayer meetings at work, I prayed last week in a certain text of Scripture. And I know not everybody liked it because somebody came up to me after and says, Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. Why? Well, this morning's prayer, I said, oh. And I thought, maybe it touched a chord. And the prayer is basically about the world looks for pleasure in the temporal things of life and there's none to be had. Mm. Only in Christ. Mm. The world looks at us and says, we don't want none of what you got. There's nothing comely about you. They, do that with, they did that with Christ. They do it with us. The servant is not greater than his master. <laughs> so his church and his building of her has no comeliness or beauty in the eyes of the world. Yet before God, before God, in Christ, they're precious as the apple of His eye. Deuteronomy. Because you're precious as the apple of my eye. You know what the apple of the eye is? It's the most sensitive part of the body. It's the most sensitive part of your eye. It's the most sensitive part of the body. That's why in the Old Testament, the Lord says, those that afflict you, afflict the apple of my eye. I'm very sensitive about those who afflict you. God's not being cold or indifferent. He's not standing back and letting us suffer for nothing. Oh, no. Oh, no. 
and every affliction he is afflicted. Maybe this is what Paul meant when he says, I want a fellowship in his sufferings, that I might share in the fellowship of his sufferings. That's how God builds his church. That's how God's building each and every one of us, you know, as a Christian. That's how he's building each and every one of us. So next time we find ourselves in tribulation or afflictions or persecutions, or we sense that the gates of hell are trying to prevail against us, be reminded, God's, Christ is building, I will build my church. But he's doing that to build you and I. Truly glorious things of the earth spoken Zion city of our God. There's only three verses in that hymn in our book, but there's actually four. And this is what the four says. And I'll bring this to a close. Savior, sense of Zion city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasures, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Let that be known. Infinite wisdom, he will out of intimacy, love, compassion. You're His church. He's going to watch over you. He's going to protect you. But He's also going to allow, not all the time, but often, the gates of hell to come upon His building of the church so He might prove to them as well as to us that they shall not prevail. And out of all of that, beloved, Christ is building His church. He hasn't stopped. He hasn't stopped. He continues to build His church. I pray this morning, if you know not Christ, I pray that you hear His calling and that you might understand and realize uh, that that's how Christ builds His church, by calling you to repentance, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, become part of something special and glorious, not of ourselves, but of Christ. Amen. May we be encouraged as God's people. As we stand this morning before this divine ordinance, which has been celebrated by God's people for some 2,000 years now and continues to do so. What an amazing, amazing reality. And His truth endureth to all generations. What a glorious confidence, comfort, hope, refuge we have in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You now, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for Your blessings. We ask now, God, that You'd help us to be reminded of this sovereign decree, this sovereign edict of Christ, that He will build His church. And by His allowing the gates of hell to seek to prevail, He shall prove they shall not. But Lord, in the midst of all of that, He will build His most glorious church, more glorious than ever. Oh, Father, I pray we take comfort in that as Thy children. And Lord, I pray that we'd not rest day or night, but always, Father, Lord, set our affections on things above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of the Father. And Lord, I pray that, Father, you would guide us and direct us, help us to be reminded this morning as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're doing this in remembrance of you till you come. And like the truths we've already discussed this morning, the giving of the ordinance, Matthew 16, these words shall also be true till he come. What a blessing that is. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen.